Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to the Schmooze, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I'm visiting with Eric Goldstein. Eric is professor of American and Modern Jewish History at Emory University and is also the Judith London Evans Director of Emory's TAM Institute for Jewish Studies. Welcome, Eric. Thank you. Great to be with you. Well, really glad that you're able to visit. Um, excited to learn more about your current project, uh, which had you here at the Yiddish Book Center a few weeks ago. And um, I also gathered that you were at the center maybe as long ago as 10 years ago when you first began this research. Is that true? That's true. As a matter of fact, um, I think I've been involved in some way with the center since I was a college student. I was first interested in this material, and uh, I was ordering books <laughs> to be sent to me um, in boxes. So been a long time that I've been benefiting from the resources of the center. Well, it's it's always really interesting um, for me to learn how uh, the many sort of different ways in which our collections are being accessed for research, books, uh, films, etc. So I'm particularly drawn to your project, which is a little bit different than anything I've ever heard before. Can you talk a little bit about what you're working on? Sure. Um, it's a broad-ranging project about the reading culture of Yiddish-speaking immigrants to America uh, in the period from roughly 1870, uh, which is the very early stages of Jewish immigration from Eastern Europe, all the way up until the period uh, between wars, when Yiddish was in decline in the United States. So let's talk a little bit about how you define the reading culture of Jewish immigrants um, and and what that encompasses in terms of your research. Right. Well, um, on the most basic level, I'm interested in, the, you know, the popular materials that immigrants read. Um, I'm a historian, and I'm approaching this in a different way from a, a literary scholar um, might approach it, in that I'm not particularly or, or primarily interested in the literary importance of the works, but I'm interested in what immigrants actually read. So many of the things that I'm looking at are not just novels and short stories and things like that, but also translations uh, of works from other languages, how-to books, Americanization manuals, um, all manner of printed material. Uh, and I'm interested in how print came to play a very crucial role in the lives of immigrants as they entered a new world and as they came to see themselves in very different ways. And let me ask you, I mean, I think this is fascinating because I'm surrounded by these books all day here in the studio right now. We have, uh, let me get four bookshelves floor to ceiling with books, and I'm constantly wondering, who did these belong to? Um, were any of them in my grandparents? What were they used for? And as, as you talk about the different genres, tell me what you can glean from that. Right. Well, you know, one of the important things to realize is that um, this was a period of great change in the lives of Jewish immigrants, and many of them had not been active readers before coming to the United States. Part of this is that um, it has to do with literacy, uh, and that um, you know, in the Russian Empire, where most Jewish immigrants to America came from at that time, um, there, there was not as widespread literacy among Jews as, as is commonly believed, something approaching universal literacy. Um, you know, uh, a, a, a significant portion of the population 
could read only on the very basic level. Um, and they weren't also used to reading things like newspapers, novels, secular literature. Um, someone may have been able to read a prayer book and, and know the prayers uh, by memory or from rote, but that didn't knowledge of that alphabet didn't necessarily translate to an ability to read uh, a newspaper in Yiddish or Hebrew. Um, so many, many immigrants who came to the United States did not have a lot of significant reading experience unless they had already received some, some form of higher education or had moved to a larger city before coming to the United States. So often immigrants were learning to read, even in Yiddish, for the first time uh, in the United States. And, and the other important thing to understand is that the United States had a dramatically different, um, was a dramatically different setting for reading than the Russian Empire, where there was censorship, uh, where there was a very traditional and hierarchical society, where there wasn't a very developed commercial culture. And the United States differed in all of those ways and made uh, it much more possible for, for common people to have access to newspapers and books. It's, it's interesting that you mentioned that the immigrants arrive here without having, um, you know, many of them not having read before or certainly many of them not having sought out a lot of literature. Maybe it wasn't available for various and sundry reasons. I'm struck by the numbers I hear in terms of the numbers of books that sold of, you know, a certain edition, which, you know, having some background in publishing is astounding to me. So there was a hunger for this, yes? Yes, because, you know, it, it wasn't just purely reading for enjoyment, but it was reading for education. It was reading to discover new worlds that they had never been exposed to. It was really a, a life-transforming uh, experience and, and part of a larger transformation that they were experiencing, um, and they thought of reading as a crucial part of becoming a new person. So there was a, a you know, many memoirs and, and other sources will describe just what you're saying, a kind of hunger for reading, especially among young immigrants. And interesting that the newspapers, I think, were obviously a source both for news but also for advice. I mean, we think obviously of the Bintel Brief and stuff like that. In exploring our repository in the collection, what were you looking for, and what surprises were, you know, to be found? Right. Um, well, first, when you say that newspapers were, were more than just news, that's a really important thing to understand about Yiddish newspapers. They differed from the typical newspaper that we would know today, in that while they did contain news, they contained, much more importantly, they contained uh, educational articles, articles designed to, to help introduce immigrants to secular and American culture. Um, things like encyclopedia articles that were popularized just to teach them about basic things. Um, so the newspaper was, was much different than we would think of a newspaper today. Now, books were very much tied in with the press, and many times um, certain things would begin in newspapers and then they would later uh, be compiled in book form. So, you know, novels were serialized in newspapers and then later collected in book forms. The kind of didactic or, or self-help literature that was published in newspapers would sometimes then be expanded to books on things like etiquette or health or 
all kinds of topics, American government. Um, first and foremost at the Book Center, just the fact that so many books are collected there, you can find many things uh, that are, just aren't readily available in other places. And just being able to look at them up close, hold them in your hand, um, you really get a, a feel for the variety uh, of literature that was available to the immigrant audience. It's curious to me, too, you, you, we talk about um, how both the, the books, the pamphlets, and the newspapers, et cetera, all helped an immigrant population to navigate a new country. Um, yeah. There were manuals on how to write a letter, how to go to the doctor, the kinds of questions you should ask. The other day I saw something that was a really interesting manual in Yiddish about um, pregnancy and just all the different questions a woman could take to a visit to the doctor. So uh, how to do woodworking, how to do sewing. Um, how do you think these came to be? You know, it's like you, you create something because there's a demand for it, but if there was a population that didn't know that they could <laughs> seek these out, I, I guess I'm asking you the chicken and the egg question, and right, if you have an answer. Right. Well, uh, in addition to, you know, among the immigrants, there was a, a small group of, of more educated immigrants, kind of immigrant intellectuals, uh, many of whom were, were themselves not, say, highly educated. In other words, they didn't have university degrees, but they had been exposed to Haskalah literature or some kind of secular education in Europe. So they were uh, well poised to be a kind of leadership group. So you have, you know, well, of course, Abraham Kahan is well known, but also individuals like uh, Alexander Harkavi, who was the, you know, compiler of one of the first Yiddish dictionaries and wrote the, the famous letter writer that you referred to. Um, there were many, many individuals like this who became the editors and the promoters of this literature. Um, but the crucial thing to understand is it wasn't just a one-way relationship. They were not just dishing up all of their knowledge and science and literature for immigrant consumption. They were also shaped by their audience. So it became a relationship where they would uh, offer their what they had to offer in, in newspapers and books, but as as the relationship developed, they came to understand what their audience liked and what their audience wanted and needed, and so it was a kind of reciprocal relationship where they provided their knowledge, but they also responded to their audience's needs. And let me go in a slightly different direction, because I also know that in addition to the books, you're looking into small libraries and reading rooms, and yeah. I'd love to know about that research sure. as well. Well, you know, you in one of your previous questions, you were asking me what you can glean by sort of walking the stacks at the book center, and one of the other wonderful things about having so many books in one place, and also having, for example, several different editions of, of a particular work, so you can see, um, you know, how editions changed over time. You can also, what I found is you can also pick up books from the shelf and you can actually learn about, you know, how they were used. You can uh, open them up and look and see if there is a stamp. This was one of the things I was really interested in in, in browsing the shelves. Many of the books at the center have stamps uh, in them from different libraries. Uh, it could be a synagogue library. It could be a, a library of a, a union, of a workman's circle branch. Um, I found that they were from all over the world. 
Um, there are many public libraries, so so I through that I learned, you know, I always knew that public libraries in New York and Chicago and Boston had Yiddish sections for immigrants, but I never imagined that the public library in Fall River, Massachusetts, or, or other smaller places, also provided that kind of foreign language literature. Uh, had, you know, had enough of an audience. But you find book after book in the collection with the markings of the public libraries and, and the private libraries where they were held. And there really is very little documentation about that in other sources, so it's a wonderful window into the way in which these books were distributed and made available uh, and read. And I also found some interesting inscriptions. You know, people valued books. They gave books as gifts. They, they recorded their names in the books. And, and they sometimes wrote a note to the person they were giving the book to, and they sometimes bound the books. Many of these books were printed in very cheap editions with paper covers, but they meant so much to the owners that they, they had them bound themselves, sometimes in very nice bindings. And so all of these things are on display in the collection, and, and so you can really see not just the printed word, but how the book as an object was used and preserved and what it meant to, to the people who own them. And, and taking that one step further, something else I know that you've been looking into that also fascinates me as an artifact, which also holds a lot of information, is the library card. Oh, yes. Um, I haven't found too many library cards. Um, I, I recently wrote a book uh, along with a co-author about the history of the Jews of Baltimore uh, and the Museum, the Jewish Museum of Maryland that we work with, had a has a library card from something called the Jewish Progressive Library. Uh, it was from around the turn of the century, and what was interesting is that it it had all of the rules of the library on the card, um, and so again, you can get a sense of the culture of uh, of these libraries, um, you know, the kinds of things they valued and. Um, and you can also imagine, you know, young immigrants who had never been exposed to that kind of thing being introduced to this culture of, of borrowing the books and signing them out and returning them and being responsible for them. Um, and um, what I, I found some of some similar materials at the center in, in the in books where sometimes the rules of a library, for example, would be pasted into the back of a book. Um, I found a few things like that. Um, so you get a window into the kind of culture of, you know, the public library system was, was just emerging at the turn of the century, but in many cases, um, you know, especially er early on, um, it, it was not as, as extensive as we think of it today, and so many of these immigrants did rely on their own kind of, you know, private institutions and clubs to create libraries and reading rooms where they could get this kind of literature. And, and how much have you been able to piece together about individual home libraries or, I don't want to use the word collectors because I think we all build libraries in our homes and they're personal and they're, by extension, they tell us something about our interests. And Have you been able to piece any of that together? Right. Well, uh, on the one hand, especially in the early years when, when Yiddish books, you know, you, you it it's difficult to even call them books because in the 1890s when, when things first started being published in book form, they were routinely published in very cheap editions, papers. They were actually published in installments called hefty. 
and uh, each heft was was a you know little booklet, a brochure of say uh, eight or twelve pages, and you would come each week and you would buy them, and then eventually at the end it all added up to a book, and then later on publishers would publish all of those together in part covers, uh, but. By the turn of the 20th century, um, immigrants had a little more money. The publishing industry in the United States, the Yiddish publishing industry, expanded. There were firms devoted to Yiddish publishing, like the Hebrew Publishing Company, and there was another one called the International Library Publishing Company. And by the beginning of the 20th century, they were publishing some very nicely bound volumes, and there was an idea... um, which was very attractive to Jewish immigrants, that owning books was a sign of, of uh, status and, and erudition. And it, it was a very important way of marking the fact that you had arrived uh, in, Amer- you know, in, in terms of your, your adaptation to America. Um, and so one can also see editions of books that were embellished with gold you know, imprints, pictures of the author on the cover, pressed into the cover. Uh, during that period, they, the publishing houses started issuing, say, the complete works of not only of Jewish authors like Mendel and Macher Svarim, for example, but also of Tolstoy, of Zola, of Shakespeare, and others. And uh, you, when you see these on the shelf with their gold imprints and fancy bindings, you really get a sense that, uh, you know, aside from the literature itself, which, which I'm sure many of uh, people read, but that just the book as, a, as a, an object, as a, as a cultural material object was important, that, that when it sat on one's shelf, it, it sent the same message as having nice clothing or having a piano in your parlor. It was that sort of symbol that one had arrived as an educated person and as a person of substance. So you've been working on this for a while, Right. What set you off in the direction? Um, well, um, I've always had an interest in Yiddish, and, and I think that I tend to be drawn to projects that focus on the life of common people. I think a lot of work in Jewish history and in history in general has focused on elites, on intellectuals, and uh, a lot of what we know about Jewish culture focuses on leaders, on, on ideologies, on movements. And I was interested to know, you know, just what the average person, how, you know, how the average person experienced uh, all of this. And so looking at these popular books, they, they haven't really received a, as much scholarly attention. We know about the great writers, the, the, the Shalom Alechems and the, the Peretzes. But, um, for example, one of the authors that I'm interested in, his name was Abner Tenenbaum, and he was actually one of the most read Yiddish authors of the, of the period. Um, he wrote these popular novels. In fact, the first installment novel that, that uh, was issued in the United States in 1892 in Yiddish, he was the author of. He translated or popularized the works of, of Jules Verne into Yiddish. And uh, he was read not only in the United States, but also in Russia. And yet scholars of Yiddish today hardly know who he is. And so go, by going back and recovering that literature, you can really get more of a window into what you know, the average person was interested in, what they were reading, how they were learning about the world. Uh, we just haven't 
gotten that so far from from our studies of, of Yiddish reading culture. And one last question for you: Is there one gem sure. or one 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 find that is really meaningful or anecdotal for you? Um. Well, you know, I you mentioned it before, but I I always come back. You know, when I want to. If I have a class, for example, of undergraduates, and I want to introduce them to this whole field of Yiddish popular culture, the book I always bring along with me is uh, Alexander Harkavi's uh, American letter writer, his Briefenstiller. Um, it's a it's a book. It was a common genre even in Eastern Europe, a, a letter writer. It gave model letters uh, for people to, who weren't very educated, if they needed to write a letter on a certain topic, it gave you a whole range of letters on different topics. But Harkavi's is also interesting in that it was a bilingual. He gave the letters in Yiddish, and then he gave the English translation. And so it's not only a, a kind of manual that teaches uneducated people how to be more um, refined and proper, but it, it's also in the context of becoming an American. So you can really see the kind of translation of cultures in the book, and you can imagine people trying to make their way in the world. And the incredible thing is it has a whole range of letters. So there are love letters. Uh, there are letters designed for, for you know, um, average working people, and there are business letters. And there are letters that you write someone to invite them to your son's circumcision. <laughs> and there are business, you know, all, all, all kinds of letters. Um, for all classes and all types of people. And so it's just a very interesting snapshot of immigrant life and the challenges that immigrants were facing and also their aspirations to become uh, something different than what, what they were. Wow. It was well, a fascinating project, and I'm hopeful that you're writing a book. Oh, good. I mean, again, you know, it's, it's so beautifully sort of mortises in with the work of having rescued the books to know yeah. yeah what the backstory is to all of those who read the books collected the books um took them out of the library etc um well hopefully you'll be back when the book is out great and again thanks for the work it's wonderful thanks for the visit and um we hope to have you back here at the center sometime soon thank you and thanks thanks to the book center for all of the wonderful work that it's done in preserving these materials and for your curiosity and scholarship. Thanks again, Eric, and talk right. soon. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Schmooze, a podcast of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Mass. I'm Nadja shannon Debeck, a Yiddish language intern for the Wexler Oral History Project at the Yiddish Book Center. For more information about this podcast and to subscribe, visit our website, yiddishbookcenter.org. While you're there, I recommend listening to episode 139, the Ellis Island Yiddish Sound Archives, where Eric Byron talks about a collection of Yiddish phonographic recordings from the archives at Ellis Island, made between the 1890s and 1930s. Seid mir gesund und stark. Be well, be healthy, and tune in again soon. <laughs>